Your Bibles and you will turn to Proverbs, the second chapter. We're going to be looking at some passages of Scripture from that particular chapter in God's Word. Gary Ingram wrote a book, and the title was Hearts of Iron, Feet of Clay. And in the book, he lamented the creeping compromise that we see in our nation in many segments, even in some of our churches. But he goes on to say, and listen carefully, there are times that forces arise that have almost insurmountable power. We live in a time when massive forces are pounding our culture, forces that seem almost irresistible. You ever feel that way? It's the world we live in, isn't it? We live, it seems like, in the midst of a cultural tsunami. There's nothing you can do except just ride with it, it seems like. And because of this, many of God's people are pulling back. They feel themselves frustrated and afraid and outnumbered. And they're just sort of pulling back from that wholehearted obedience to their Lord and Savior. And we find that. We know that God's Word has the answers and the rebuttals to all of the problems. But it seems like we're not making a difference. In fact, the world is changing us instead of us changing the world. And we wonder... How can all of this be happening? The late Chuck Colson wrote a book, probably, and maybe you've read it. It's a great book. But the title of it is, How Now Shall We Live? How are we supposed to live right now in all this that's happening around us? So today, my prayer is that God will give us insight and boldness to proclaim Him. I hope you have turned your Bible to Proverbs, the second chapter, and you'll follow along in your copy of God's Word as we read it aloud. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. Proverbs, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments... Within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now scoot down to verse 9. Then, when you've done all of that, that he says, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. When you do that, here is what's going to happen, he says. And it does. Would you pray with me? Almighty Father, I stand here before you this morning 
just awed by your presence and your power. But Father, I know, along with many of your people, that you have fixed a day in which you will judge the world in righteousness. And Father, my prayer is that you would get us ready. I pray, Father, that you would bring revival and awakening, spiritual awakening across our nation. I pray it for myself. I stand at the front of the line, Father. I pray it for my church here at Grapevine. I pray it for our city and churches across our city, and I pray it for our nation. Oh, Father, that we would acknowledge and know that the day has been appointed and we're not ready yet. Get us ready. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. How now shall we live? I've titled this message, What is Right and What is Wrong? How am I supposed to live in all that I'm involved in and all that I am surrounded with? When you know that you know that you know that you have asked Jesus Christ by faith to become your Savior and your Lord, when you know that, there are some questions that you have to ask. You may have never asked them, but when this day is over with, you will know what they are and you will know that you have to ask them. And how you answer these questions, the way that you answer them, the way that I answer these questions, will determine some things. First of all, they will determine how I live my life on the few short years that I have here on this earth. How I answer these questions will determine the legacy that I live. What a difference my life will make when I'm gone. Pretty important. And the third thing, when we answer these questions, we are making a difference in what our rewards will be in heaven, depending on how I answer these questions. So these are valuable questions, three of them, that you and I have to answer. And so this morning, I hope you have your outline, I hope you will use it, and I hope you will allow God to speak to you as we look at these and we understand them, what God is telling us about this. The first question that I want you to see on your outline is, what is my authority in choosing right and wrong? What is going to be my authority for choosing right and wrong? Well, let's look at some of those things. And we're going to see them. Where are you going to get the answers? Well, there are really only three places that you can get answers to these kind of questions. First of all, there is the external authority. 
The external authority is what the world is saying around me. When I look at the world and I listen to the world and I begin to hear what they are saying, I listen to that and I think this sounds pretty good. We live in a nation where almost eight out of ten people will answer questionnaires that they are Christians. So if you live in a nation where that many people say they're Christians, surely you can watch what they're doing and know what they're doing and it'll be the right thing. Surely... They've got some morals about them, and they will do the right thing, and I watch them, so I'm going to take the external authority. In other words, I'm going to do what other people do. It's just an easy way. You're going with the crowd, and it seems to be the best way to do it. But I want to tell you something. When you do what you do because everybody else is doing it, I want to remind you of a couple of things. I want you to understand that popular opinion and political correctness changes all the time. Have you noticed that? You cannot put any faith in it. What you learn and what you hear and what you sense today will probably be changed tomorrow. Exodus 23 verse 2 says, You shall not follow the masses in doing wrong. You can't do that. God's Word also tells us in Romans 2.12, Do not be conformed to this world. When you begin to follow the masses, you're going to get what the masses have, which is nothing. You'll be left empty. So there is the external authority. Is that going to be my authority? There's a second authority that we can look at. It's the internal authority. I'm not going to follow the masses. I'm not going to follow the crowd. I'm an intellect. I've learned a lot of things. I know a lot of things. And I'm going to decide what's right for me. I can do that. When I believe in something hard enough and long enough, and I believe this is true because I believe it with all my heart then I accept that as the authority for my life. And that's what I'm going to do. But let me tell you something about that kind of authority. That is the voices within us. What happens to that? A couple of things you need to know. You and I have a limited perspective. We don't know how this thing's going to turn out. Did you ever do something that you knew was the exact right thing to do? You had contemplated, you had thought about it, you had figured it out, you knew it was the exact thing to do, and you did it, and it became a disaster. Yes, you have. If you just be honest, you have. We're like that. We have a limited perspective. We're not sure how this thing's going to turn out. And so we don't know. But let me tell you something else that you need to know when you listen to the voice within. You need to know, and I need to understand, our hearts are deceptive. You can't trust your hearts. We don't know our motives. That's the reason Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceptive than all else and is desperately wicked or sick. Your heart is sick. Your heart and my heart can con ourselves into believing whatever we want to believe. We can make right wrong or wrong right in our hearts. 
we confuse our desires from what is really right. There's a country song, you may know this, that just sort of sums all this up. The title of the song is, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. That's the way we are, aren't we? It's the way we are. I've already made my mind up. I'm going to listen to the voice inside of me, and that's going to be my authority. So you can have the authority of the voices around you. You can have the authority of the voice inside of you. But there is one last. There is a third authority. And it is the eternal authority. Write that on your outline. That's the voice above me. The eternal authority. Eternal authority. I'm not going to follow the crowd. I'm not going to follow my own feelings and my heart. I am going to get my authority from God's Word. From God. That's the authority. God who's above me says this in Jude 25. I've never seen this verse. I've read Jude because it's a small book. You can read through it real quick. I've read Jude I don't know how many times, but a few months ago, God just stopped me on a verse. And here's the verse. Listen to it carefully. Jude 25. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is the author attributing to God everything He is. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory. All glory belongs to Him. Majesty, all majesty belongs to Him. Dominion, all dominion belongs to Him. And listen to this. This is what I've never seen. And authority. All authority belongs to God. That's where we're to get our authority. We cannot get it at any place else. Therefore, he goes on to say, before all, now listen to this, before all, time, and now, and forever. Amen. What does that say? That's saying God was authority in the past, God is the authority now, and God will be the authority forever in the future. That's what He's saying. He is the authority. Now let's talk about that authority just a minute. This authority is what God desires to do in our lives. He is that authority. He is the one that does that in our lives. Let me tell you something, what that means. When God has been, is, and always will be the authority. All authority belongs to Him. You know what that means? That means that what was right yesterday is right today. Is right tomorrow. What was wrong yesterday is wrong today. Will be wrong in the future. Let me tell you something. Right never changes. If it's right, it don't change. Everything else changes, but right is immutable. It don't change. He is the one who is that person. Goodness. That's who we're talking about. So what's my authority going to be? Well, if you have received Christ as Jesus and Lord, you know without me saying it, your authority is to come from His Word. That's where He gives us His authority. And that's what we are supposed to follow. That's the first question. What will be my authority in choosing right and wrong?
Let's look at the second question of these three very vital questions. The second, there on your outline, what does the Bible say about right and wrong? What does the Bible say about right and wrong? If he's the authority, then what does the Bible say, his word, about right and wrong? We're supposed to know what he says. And so what does it say about moral rightness? Do you know that phrase about moral rightness is in God's word 869 times? You can go to any book in the Bible and there'll be something about right and something about wrong. Now I'm going to get you out before six tonight, so I'm not going to go to every verse and every chapter. But I just want to do some flyovers, some mountaintop flyovers this morning on this particular point. And I want you to see some things that God says about moral rightness and wrong. The first one is in Genesis. In Genesis, the Bible tells us how we come to know right and wrong. How we come to know right and wrong. Kent, why didn't God just make us in the first place where we just know right and just do right and never do anything else? Well, I got news for you. He did make us that way in the first place. Do you know that? He did. He made us just to know right. But you remember some of that. Listen to God's word, if you will, concerning what he says. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. God gave us choices. He gave Adam and Eve choices. And he said, Do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or of right and wrong. He said, don't do that. Well, you remember how that story ended, don't you? Now let me ask you, when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what do you think they got? Real simple. They got the knowledge of good and evil. Up until that time, Adam and Eve did not know evil. All they knew was God. They knew His presence in the garden. They knew that beautiful world He had made around them. They knew just God and they knew good. They didn't know anything else. They didn't know anything else at all. But you know, when they ate of that, they then had the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, because I know evil, I do evil. If I'd never known evil, if you'd never known evil, you wouldn't have done evil. Satan, you remember, tricked them. He made a statement to them. He said, when you eat from that, you will be like God. Well, let me tell you something. There's a shadow of truth in that. Let me tell you something about Satan. I'm going to take a side road for just a second. Satan will get so close to the truth sometimes, if you don't know the truth, you can't figure it out. He's smarter than you. And me too. So he said, you'll be like God. Well, he was right. You see, God knows good and evil. 
But let me tell you something about God that doesn't match your life and doesn't match my life as we live with this particular material that now that we have. God, with His holy righteousness and His omnipotent power, can never, never, never do evil even though He knows it. You and I can't do that. So you know what happened? When I, in my spiritual genetics, inherited the knowledge of good and evil, God, like He knew for Adam and Eve, and He knows for me and He knows for you, He knows we have knowledge we can't handle. We've got knowledge we can't handle. It's like taking your five-year-old and putting him behind the wheel of your car when you're going 80 miles an hour down the road. You're going to have a problem. We can't handle this. God knew we couldn't handle it. We wasn't made to handle it. And so God says, there's some things I'm going to do. That's Genesis. Let me share with you some things he says about good and evil in Proverbs on your outline. Proverbs tells us the potential effects of knowing good and evil. The potential effects that come from knowing good and evil. Listen to what he says. There's positive potential and there's negative potential. In the positive potential, Proverbs 13, 6 says, Righteousness guards the one whose way is blameless. Now that you know righteousness and you know evil, when you choose righteousness, God says, I'll guard your way. Protection comes when we choose righteousness. He goes on to say in verse 9 of that chapter, Proverbs 13, the light of righteousness rejoices. So God says, I'll give you protection and I'll give you joy like you've never known when you choose righteousness. When you decide and will choose righteousness, you will be protected and you will have great joy. This is not on your outline, but there's a passage in Proverbs 3, verse 13, that says that when I apply godly principles of wisdom, when I choose righteousness in my living, that passage of Scripture goes on to say that the returns will be better than silver and gold. How many people in this church believe that? When I choose righteousness over evil, every time God says the returns will be better, there'll be more joy than silver and gold would give you. What if I had the ability to set before you These choices. On one side of the choices would be that you would always choose right and never choose wrong. And on the other side, if I had the power to do this, I could offer you 840 million tax-free dollars. Which would you take? We'd break our neck to get up here and get in line, wouldn't we? Do you think the world thinks choosing righteous and right every time will bring you joy and peace and all those things? No. In fact, the world thinks something's wrong with you if you don't step across the line every once in a while into evil. You're missing something out if you don't get over there. That's where it's fun. Yes, sin's fun. God's Word will tell you sin's fun. It just don't last a long time. It has a lot of repercussions. But he says, that's the potential The positive potential. But let me tell you, there's a negative potential too. 
And I want you to see that. This is what God's Word says. But let me just tell you, it's not more things that make you happy. Not at all. It's the right thing that makes you happy. Righteousness before God. But there is a negative potential. Listen to this passage in Proverbs 28, verse 18. But one who distorts right and wrong will suddenly fall. Now that I know right and wrong, when I distort them, when I say right is wrong and I say wrong is right, when I distort those, God says I will suddenly fall. Suddenly fall. There's another passage of Scripture in Proverbs 28. I want you to see that. Proverbs 28, verse 2. The Bible says, By the transgressions of a land, many are its princes. There's one translation, and I like it. I want you to listen to how it says that verse. When there is moral rot in a nation, the government topples easily. Understand that, don't you? That's the downside. Listen, what you do makes a difference. What I do makes a difference. People have said, preacher, it's none of your business. It is some of my business. And if you're a member of this church and you're part of this fellowship, it is a part of my business. And how I live is a part of your business because we're connected. And what happens begins to bring about the rot in our nation, in our lives, in our churches. There is a negative to that. Let me move on quickly to another mountaintop. It's in Romans. Romans tells us that our, and listen to this, tells us in all of this that our responsibility, our responsibility to know right and wrong. Now, Kent, I'm just an old boy from Hopkins County, or Christian County in my case. And you know what? How can I be held responsible? What if I never hear anybody say anything about it? What if I never read the Bible? What if I never hear some preacher talk about it that I don't, write, don't know right and wrong? Well, it would be very unfair for God to hold me responsible for something I don't know. Well, He don't hold you responsible for something you don't know. Let me tell you something about that. And you listen very carefully in all this. Listen to this verse. Romans 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law. That means if I've sinned and I never heard a thing about the law. Never heard a thing about the law. When I sin without the law, the Bible says, I will also perish without the law. Let me share another passage, the rest of that passage with you. He goes on to say, And all who have sinned under the law, those who know the law, God's Word says, will be judged by the law. You understand that? How can God be so unfair, Kent? Well, let me tell you how. He put a moral compass in everybody that was ever born. I don't care if you believe that or not. It's biblical. Doesn't matter what continent they're from. 
Now, they may not have all the truth that you have or all the truth that other people have, but they have a moral compass. It is a compass that if they choose to, re- to find God and to seek Him, He will move heaven and earth to reveal Himself to them, no matter where they live. Now, listen to carefully what I'm going to say. That moral compass is like the engine light on your car. You can unconnect it. You can take it out. You can take a hammer and break it. But you won't change the consequences of what happens to your engine. You will not change the consequences of what God has said He will do because you don't know anything about the law. God is saying, we are responsible to know. Let me give you the last flower. Here's the last flower. Hebrews and James tells us how we discern right and wrong. Do you know God tells us how we can discern right and wrong? Now, we live in a nation where right and wrong are right up against each other. Can't that really don't look like it's wrong? How can I discern right and wrong? God's telling us. Well, I want you to see what he tells us about that. And I want you to know. Romans 2 verse 12. For all who have... Oh, I've read you that one. All who have sinned without law. Let me read this one from Hebrews 5.14. But solid food is for the mature... Now listen to this phrase. Who because of practice... Because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. How do I know good and evil? When I choose right, I begin to know more right. When I, by practice, choose right, I get more discernment in choosing more right. It's the way our football players learn to play football. It's the way our musicians learn to play. They practice When I have righteousness and evil on this side and I keep practicing taking righteous, God promised me in His Word, I will know more about how to discern right and wrong. That's how you know. What about Christians that keep getting in trouble? Well, answer's pretty obvious, isn't it? They're not practicing righteousness. I'm an old country boy. I can figure that out. He says we are to practice righteousness, goodness. That's how we discern good and evil. But God's Word is not only a diagnosis, it's a prescription. Listen to James 4, verse 11. But you who are not a judge who can decide whether... But you are not a judge who can decide whether the law is right or wrong. Your job is to obey it. Obey it. Pretty simple. That's all God tells us to do. We're obey it. He says in Hebrews 5 verse 13, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Not acquainted. Well, this takes us to the last and to the end. I want you to listen what God has to say. How am I to respond to right and wrong? How am I to respond to 
fellow believers in right and wrong? How am I respond to people who don't want right and wrong, who are not believers? How do I respond to God? Well, I want you to notice this, and this is where we live. You may have decided the other two questions, but this is where we as God's children wrestle with so much in our lives. God says as a follower to him, there are some things that I'm to be. And notice those on your outline. First, I'm to be a prophet to society. A prophet to society. There's a phrase in several passages, especially in the Old Testament, that goes something like this. The word of the Lord came to so-and-so. Or it is a passage of Scripture, something like this, that says, this is what the Lord says. In Zechariah 1.3, uh, the Bible says, Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. All the prophets, when God would tell them something, they would be telling others. You and I are to be prophets. Now, what are you saying, Kent? I'm saying you're to be forth-telling. Not a foreteller. Jeremiah, Isaiah, these guys at times were foretellers. They could see because God gave them that ability, the future. But we're to be forth-tellers. When we're in God's Word and God's Word is speaking to us, we're to be sharing what God's Word says with the world around us. This is what the Lord says. But you know what I find about a lot of prophets? You can see them on television. Sometimes you've been in their company when there's a crowd and things is going on. I see a lot of people who probably are born again. They're prophets for the Lord. But you know what? They just want to get in the face of those who are disobedient to God. And they just want to bang on them. And they have no mercy. They have no brokenness. They do not shed tears. And they just want to say, you're wrong. Listen. That's not the way you're to be a forth teller. There ought to be a brokenness that the world is going where it's at, where my friend is living where they are. And a brokenness. Some of these people are so angry, I think they're wearing underwear that's three sizes too small. They're just angry. God says don't do that. Not only do we be a prophet, but let me share something else with you. We're to be a priest to sinners. Do you know God calls every one of us believers a priest? We're a priest to believers. I mean unbelievers. We're to share with them. That word priest has the connotation of a bridge builder. Now let me share with you. You're not the bridge. Our great high priest is the bridge. But our job is to take people so that they may find through the Son the way to the Lord as Savior of their life. We're to be doing that. Now here's what's happened. We get these out of balance. I praise God for people who want to share the gospel. But let me tell you something, friend. Some people want to share the gospel, but they don't want to talk about the sins that the person has. We have to know. We can't get right until we know we're wrong. And then some of us, as a prophet, just want to cram it down their throat. We have no compassion. We don't want to tell them about how they can find peace. We've got to keep those in balance. 
There's one other, two others. We're to be a partner to saints. A partner to saints. Goodness. This is one that's tough. I've never seen this practiced for a long time. And I hope it's practiced in this church. It's not something you'll see in the public. But listen to what it says. The Bible says, in being a, a partner, rather, to saints, Galatians 6.1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual. You know what that means? Responsive to God's Holy Spirit. Could it be that we don't do this because nobody is responsive to God's Spirit anymore? The Bible says, We who are spiritual, guided by the Spirit, is to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Let me just say this. In love and in pain, how many people who were faithful in this church down through the years in the past have fallen away, maybe from embarrassment, maybe from a bunch of things, but they've fallen away. And some brother... Some sister didn't go up to them and say, Brother, with tears in her eyes, I want to help you be restored. You and I together are going to work on this. How many times has that not been done in this church? Listen, that's a mandate. I'm not making this up. One last one. We're to be a person in need of God's strength ourselves. Let me just share this first before I go on to that. A passage that God says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was making an appeal, not a, not a condemnation. Through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Philippians 1.10, That you will see the difference between good and bad, and will choose the good, that you will be pure and without wrong, for the coming of Christ. What I prayed about this morning, for the coming of Christ. If I do not take the message that I'm giving to you and do not take it to heart, I cannot live the first three above it. Oh, God forbid that I would get up and preach to His people and not live it out in my life. And I think that's the reason a lot of us don't go to brothers and sisters and say, Oh, I want to tell you you're off track. I want to tell you we work on this together because they're not on track themselves. That's what God's Word's telling us. Goodness. If I am not keeping it myself, you see those things at the end there on life application, how we're to apply those. But I want to say to you something, friends. I want you to know this morning, and I don't know most of the people in this building, but I want to tell you there is a way that you don't have to keep carrying that guilt. There is a way that you can be free. You can be set free. You can have the joy and protection that God has promised. And it's simply by receiving Him. Receive righteousness. 
receive from him the gift of life. God says that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me. Cleanse me. Oh, to have that guilt off of me. To cleanse me from all unrighteousness. This morning, wherever you are, I want to tell you, God can set you free. He's the only one that can. He promises to do it. And He will, if you will allow Him. Would you do that? Child of God, member of this church, let me say something to you. What I want to say to you is, are you doing what a prophet, a priest, a believer is supposed to do? Are you doing those things? God holds us responsible, you and me, for that. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to have our invitation. And I want to tell you this morning that if God's speaking to you, that that is a blessed thing. I want to tell you, when God speaks to mere mortals and He begins to pull at our heart and He begins to tell us and remind us of things that He wants to do and that we've refused to let Him do, what a blessing to know that God will speak to you and He will change you. He will make a difference in your life. You may be here this morning. You've received Christ, but you've never told anybody. You need to make that public. Maybe you've been attending this church and you sense God's presence here and you're drawn to His people as they worship Him and to this place. Then this morning, you need to be a part of this membership. And I encourage you to do that. Mike and I will be standing here at the front and I just pray that you would say yes. This morning, Father, as you work with your Holy Spirit in our life, as you speak to us as believers as to what we're supposed to be as far as right and